Hello, dear listeners, and welcome to the Nope Too Creepy podcast. With the summer season coming to a close, it means a lot of people will be returning to school. Not just students, but also teachers and other faculty. And not every teacher is lucky enough to have a class full of bright and normal children. Some of you are going to have some freaks. And I say that with the utmost respect. This month's mega episode will feature three stories of children who are dangerous, mysterious, and just plain creepy. This first story follows a little orphan girl named Marcy, who has the strangest diet I've ever heard of. Written by Reddit user ConstantReader04, here is, I fostered a child who only wanted to eat crackers, and now... I'll never foster again. I have fostered three children through my state so far. The first two were very young and didn't stay longer than several months before being reunited with their own families. Both were cases where the parents were convicted of petty drug offenses and had to straighten out their lives before they could have their kids back. There was no abuse reported from their caseworker. I met those parents and they really seemed like decent people that did love their children but made some bad choices and had to pay dearly for them. I was glad to see them reunited. The kids were ecstatic to be returned to their own mommies and daddies. It was heartwarming. Then, I took in Marcy. I kept her for less than one week. Mr. Dennis, the caseworker I dealt with, had warned me that Marcy's case was different than the others. Marcy's mother had an ongoing case for neglect and abuse. Mr. Dennis said she was an alcoholic that confided to him once that she never wanted Marcy, and she resented having to take care of her. On several visits, she had taken out her parrot to show Mr. Dennis and doted lovingly on while Marcy stood quietly in the corner. When Mr. Dennis asked Marcy's mother why she didn't put Marcy up for adoption, she simply answered that no one would want her. A few days before I spoke with Mr. Dennis about the placement, the agency received a call from a concerned neighbor that reported they thought the girl had been left alone. For two weeks, there had been no activity in the house. No one coming or going. No lights on at night. Amarcy's mother's car was still there, but the house seemed deserted. And with the mother's history of neglect, the neighbor asked if they could go check. When Mr. Dennis arrived, Escorted by two police officers, it seemed like Marcy's mother had indeed left. She was gone, as well as her beloved parrot, and the house was in complete disarray. The utilities had been turned off. The stench was overpowering. They found Marcy curled up, sleeping in the filthy bathtub, surrounded by her own feces. 
They summarized she had been drinking the toilet water, and that's why she had gone to the bathroom on the floor. Marcy neither had a blanket or a pillow in the tub with her, but she was covered in what seemed to be bird feathers. Mr. Dennis said it was the saddest thing he had ever seen. They didn't know what she had eaten as there was no food in the cabinets, and what little food that had been there in the fridge was spoiled. The police reported to find a large kitchen knife on the counter that seemed to have been smeared with a substance that resembled dry blood, and they would run tests on it, but it would take a while to get the results. They searched the premise and found no signs of Marcy's mother. When Mr. Dennis brought Marcy to me, he filled me in on a few more details about her. She didn't speak much at all. She was nine years old, but had the vocabulary of a two-year-old. She could only say a limited amount of words, basically things like no, potty, and drink, to let you know when she needed something. He also warned me that she did not react well to public places. She suffered panic attacks when placed around too many people at once, more than likely a side effect of never leaving her own home. She was very thin, and honestly not the cutest kid I had ever seen. My first two days with Marcy were uneventful. I work from home and schedule my own hours, so I was able to dedicate a lot of time to making Marcy feel comfortable. I tried to get her interested in all of the usual things I've done in the past. Things like coloring, playing with Play-Doh, and, of course, I had a lot of toys. But Marcy seemed disinterested in all of these things, and barely participated. The kids I had before were younger than her, so I tried a different approach. I painted her fingernails and braided her hair, and even applied a little bit of pink lip gloss and light blush to her face. When I was done, she glanced in the hand mirror, I held up, then just left to go sit on the floor by the TV, and stared at me until I turned it on for her. That was the only thing that held her attention, so I put on fun educational shows made for toddlers that taught basic things like words and social skills. I don't think her mother let her watch TV at all before, if they even owned one. I had a cat named Socks that seemed to be a hit with the children before, but Marcy acted terrified of her, so I moved her cat box and food bowl into my bedroom the day Marcy had arrived. That's where she stayed until she went missing the night of day three. I had left my bedroom window cracked just enough so that she could traverse the fenced-in yard when she pleased. She was fixed and never had attempted to run away before. I was devastated, but tried to just focus my attention and energy on Marcy. Marcy was extremely picky about food. She wouldn't touch anything I home-cooked. She would look at it with a disgusted expression 
and only ever requested one thing. Crackers. I didn't have any crackers at home, so I tried some frozen meals, such as pizza, chicken nuggets, and kids' meals. She would hardly even taste the food, moving it around her plate. Every once in a while, she would fork a tiny bit into her mouth, make a face, and say the same thing. Crackers. She literally only ate enough to sustain life the first two days. So I called a friend and asked if they would bring over some saltines for me the next day. There was one other thing that seemed to hold her attention. Even though she didn't like the food I made for her, Marcy seemed to enjoy watching me cook for myself. Crackers? She seemed to question as she looked from the raw chicken I had removed from the fridge. I calmly explained to her that no, it wasn't crackers I was preparing. It was chicken. And she was welcome to have some after I cooked it. I threw it in the heated pan on the stove, and it started to sizzle. She lost interest and wandered into the living room. That night, something weird happened. It was four o'clock in the morning. I woke up having to pee, and when I sat up in bed, I saw Marcy peering at me through the crack in my door. It startled me. And to be honest, it was a bit creepy. It didn't have the feeling of a child scared in the middle of the night, seeking help from an adult. It was more like she was watching me sleep. I got up and steered her back to her own room, tucked her in, and explained to her that there was a rule about wandering the house at night. She was only to get out of bed to use the restroom, and if she needed me, that she was to call for me. She nodded and laid down. As I was leaving, I turned to glance at her, and her eyes were wide. She didn't look sleepy at all. She just laid there, staring at the door. The next day, my friend delivered the crackers and I presented them to Marcy, expecting her to gobble them down. Instead, she took one, nibbled it a bit, and looked at me. Crackers, she said. I agreed with her. Yes, crackers. Just what she wanted. Wasn't she happy with her snack? Crackers, she said and she set the half-eaten saltine on the table and wandered over to the TV and sat down. <sighs> okay, well, maybe she wanted a different kind. Saltines were kind of bland after all. I called my friend again and explained the situation. I asked if she would bring a variety of crackers and bring them over the next day. She agreed that she would. Of course, Marcy didn't eat much that night for dinner, and went to her room early. I let her be. 
sometimes these kids need a little space after what they have been through. I worked on my computer for several hours before getting myself ready for bed. I went to check on Marcy to make sure she had brushed her teeth, and when I walked into her room, she quickly jumped and hid something under her bed. I knelt down, explaining she didn't have to hide things from me. I was here to help her, and we should be very open and honest with each other. I promised I wouldn't be mad as I felt under her bed for the object. I was still explaining to her about honesty when I pulled out the kitchen knife from under her bed. I choked on my words. I nervously asked her why she had it. Of course, she didn't answer me, only stared. I told her this was extremely dangerous and against the rules. I explained she could accidentally hurt herself, and she was never allowed to touch knives in the house. She just looked at it, then looked back at me, saying nothing. I had a hard time falling asleep that night, and I thought I heard footsteps running down the hallway. But when I got up to check, Marcy was in her bed. She wasn't sleeping. I asked her if she had been out of bed, and she quickly replied no. I said I was going back to bed, and that she should close her eyes and try to get some sleep. No. I smiled at this and told her, fine, but don't get up for any reason other than using the restroom. She didn't reply, so I pulled her door shut and went back to my own bed. As I started to drift off, I swear I could hear more footsteps in the hall. The next day my friend dropped off two grocery bags filled with all sorts of different crackers. There were Ritz crackers, goldfish crackers, even flavored saltines. I presented these to Marcy without success. She nibbled a little of each type, then looked at me. Crackers! She said a little louder than usual. I dug into a different bag and pulled out some of those little sandwich crackers. These were peanut butter and jelly. I showed them to her, and she shook her head. I found some that were cheese. She didn't want those either. I tried Triscuits, then Chicken Biscuits. She just looked at them and walked over to the TV, sat down, and stared at me. I was growing increasingly frustrated. I let her watch some shows while I worked on my computer. Every once in a while, I would hear her mutter along with the learning program she watched, but her expression never changed. Never once did she smile. That night, I tucked her into bed and went to go take a shower. I took my time getting dressed for bed, and when I was done, I went down the hall to check on her. 
she was not in her bed. I called out for her while searching the room. She did not reply. Before I left her room, I stopped and turned towards her bed. I knelt down and looked from where I was standing at the door. Marcy was not there, but I could see something. I walked over and reached for it without looking, and cried out when my fingers touched something. I pulled my hand away and looked at it. It looked like blood, but it had started to dry and turn sticky. My heart racing, I quickly headed towards the living room to grab my phone. When I entered, I was shocked to find it had been turned upside down. The cushions were all pulled from the couch and had been thrown around the room. Books had been pulled from the shelves and dropped onto the floor. My knickknacks had been thrown out the front door, which hung ajar. I stepped out, calling for Marcy. I got no response and saw no one. Now I was mad and worried. I quickly checked for her in the kitchen and she wasn't there, so that only left my room. I sprinted down the hall and into my bedroom. It was in the same state as the living room had been in. My things were all over the floor. My dresser drawers were open and the clothes had been halfway pulled out. The comforter and sheets had been ripped from the bed and tossed crumpled into the corner. I was furious as I sat on my bed and took a minute to decide on my next course of action. I sighed deeply and put my head in my hands. Should I call the police first or her caseworker? Then I heard a giggle. It seemed to come from behind me. I turned around to look, but there was nothing there. I heard it again. No, not behind me. Under the bed. I got on my hands and knees and pulled up the dust ruffle to look. Marcy was under my bed, clutching the same kitchen knife I had taken from her a few nights ago. She was finally smiling. I stood up and demanded she come out right now. She did. I carefully took the knife from her. She let me. She had wet herself. I escorted her back to her own room. Before I laid out a fresh set of clothes and asked her to change, I checked her over for cuts. But there were none. I softly told her to get in bed and not to leave her room again. She was no longer smiling. I went back to my room and immediately called Mr. Dennis. He didn't pick up, so I tried again. When he still didn't answer, I texted him that he had to come over and get Marcy first thing in the morning. 
a few minutes later, and he called back. I explained to him what just happened, and he agreed this was abnormal and potentially dangerous. He advised me to keep my bedroom door locked tonight, and he would be there in the morning to collect her. We chatted a little more about her strange behavior the past few days, and before we hung up, I mentioned her eating habits. I told him about the fact she had repeatedly requested crackers to eat, but when I got them for her, she didn't want them. That's a weird coincidence, he chuckled. Crackers was the name of her mother's parrot. I thanked him and hung up. I'm sitting here now, writing this, and I can't stop thinking about when he said they had found her covered in feathers, and the fact that there was no food anywhere. I'm actually scared. I can hear footsteps running up to my bedroom door. She waits there for a few minutes before I hear her move away again. Then she comes back. I won't be sleeping tonight. The morning cannot come soon enough. Oh, wow. Poor little crackers. Didn't see that one coming. Anyway, dear listener, are you ready to get into even stranger territory? This next one doesn't necessarily feature a creepy kid, but it may just be the origin story for a future monster or cryptid. I'll let you be the judge. Written by author Carter Vandenberg, here is My Little Brother Got Stuck in an Air Vent. As children, my little brother and me would always race each other through the air vents in our house to see who could get to their room the fastest. Dad would always tell us not to do it since one of us could get stuck, but we never believed him, so we just did it when he wasn't around. He was probably just tired of us always popping up out of the air vents and scaring him. I would win pretty much every time at first, but eventually I started having trouble moving around the tight spaces due to my growing body, while my brother would only get better and better until our roles had reversed and suddenly he was the one always beating me. It wasn't that I was getting slower, quite the opposite in fact. Something inside me said that if I moved too fast through the vents, I would eventually get stuck, so I stopped racing, and this ticked off my little brother. You're just mad because you're always losing, he would shout. I ignored him and went up to my room. About half an hour later, my dad called and said he was going to be late and to unload the dishwasher, and to get my little brother to help rake the leaves outside. It was pretty normal for my dad to be late so I did what I was told without questioning it. It was only when I went to rake the leaves that I noticed something was wrong. 45 minutes had passed since I came home from school with my little brother, 
and yet I had not seen him since getting here. This wasn't normal. He was always bugging me to play with him, or do something stupid that would get us in trouble, and I would always turn him down. Had he finally given up? No, that didn't seem like him. I assumed that something had happened at school that upset him. Either that, or he was still mad at me about the vent thing. But that wouldn't make any sense. If he was mad at me, he'd probably just try to punch me or something like that. It must have been something I did not know about. I went up to his room, but he wasn't there. I searched the whole house, but didn't find him anywhere. If he left, I probably would have heard the front door opening. I searched again, this time looking through each and every nook and cranny that he could be hiding in, all the while calling out his name. I was about to give up and assume he ran out when I wasn't paying attention and call the police. But that's when I heard him crying. Donnie? Where are you? No response. Okay, come on out, Donnie. This isn't funny anymore. I... I can't... He said, between heavy sobs. I felt like I was talking to a ghost. Where the hell was he? And that's when it clicked for me. There was only one place I hadn't checked yet. The air vents. Donnie... Are you stuck in the air vent? Through his whimpers, I managed to make out and... Uh-huh. Suddenly, my mind was racing. My first thought was to call the police. But then it hit me. Dad does not know about the air vent racing. If he found out, he would never let it go. Heck, he probably would not let us do anything by ourselves ever again. That left only one option. Hang in there, Donnie. I'm coming to get you. Okay. This was crazy, but what choice did I have? Grabbing a flashlight from my dad's toolbox, I forced my way into the basement's air vent. It was a tight squeeze. I had to ram my body against the sides of the vent in order to stretch it open wide enough for me to move around easily. With the flashlight in my mouth, I started crawling through the vent like a mole, trying my hardest to follow my little brother's cries. They reverberated off the walls so much it was impossible to tell where they were coming from. Eventually, I found that I had looped back around to the same place I started. This was getting me nowhere. If my little brother was trapped anywhere, it had to be that narrow part of the vent in the center of the house, near the boiler. I went there and shone my flashlight through, but saw nothing. Damn! Where was he? I only had a little bit of time left before Dad got home, and then I would have to explain this whole thing to him. I tried calling out again. Donnie, where are you? I, 
I d- don't know. Great. Thanks for the help, Donnie. What room are you closest to? I can't tell, he said. Donnie, listen to the sound of my voice. What direction is it coming from? I can't tell. Right. I forgot about the sound reverberating. What about before? Right before I came in? Was I close or far away? Uh, you were close, I think. Really close. So he was near the basement. But that didn't make any sense. I already checked all the vents near the basement. He must have been in the upstairs shaft. I'm really sorry, he cried. I could hear his voice echoing from all around me. It was like he was talking to me from every direction. I wanted to crawl through the basement vent to your room so I could jump out and scare you, but then I got stuck. I just wanted to show you that I could crawl through the air vents with no problem. I'm so sorry. His wailing got louder. It was actually super annoying. Listen, Donnie, I'm going to get you out of here, so stop crying, okay? He must have listened because he calmed down a little bit after that. But at least he had given me an important clue. His destination. I retraced my steps through the vent, back to the basement, following the dents I had made in the sides. Then I proceeded to crawl through the basement vent shaft towards my bedroom. Doing this brought back a lot of memories for me, but at the same time, I remembered why I had stopped. By the time I was on the other side, I was covered in bruises and cuts, and most importantly, I hadn't seen any sign of my little brother. It didn't make any sense. He knew the layout of the vent shaft better than I did. There was no way he would have gotten lost. I called down to him again. Donnie, what route were you using to get to my room? The shortest route. That was the route I took. I couldn't have possibly missed him. The two of us couldn't even fit in any of the shafts together anyway. Was it possible he knew a shorter route than I did? It seemed hard to believe, but there didn't appear to be many other possibilities. Begrudgingly, I went back through the vent shaft, this time exploring every path that forked from the one I believed to be the shortest. When I found myself back in the basement, I turned around to look again. This repeated multiple times, to the point where I even drew up a map to make sure I wasn't missing anything. He just wasn't anywhere. Of course, I hadn't considered the possibility that he might not actually be stuck, and instead was just trying to make me crawl through the vent a bunch of times as punishment for not racing with him anymore. He could see my flashlight beam to know when to get out of the way in time, and since we had no other way of locating each other, he would be able to avoid me with ease. It was a far-fetched theory, but at this point, it was the only thing that made sense. 
Hey, Donnie, stop being cruel. Just come out of there already. What do you mean? I can't move. His crying started up again, this time louder than ever. It didn't sound like he was lying. Eventually, Dad came home, and I explained everything that had happened. He wasn't nearly as mad at me as I had expected, and he seemed to agree that my theory was the only possible explanation for everything. He went into his toolbox and grabbed a handsaw, then looked at me with a smirk. If he won't come out willingly, we'll just have to cut the vent open until he has nowhere else to hide. I wasn't sure if the property damage would be worth the little bit of revenge, but at the same time, my little brother could have left at any time. So at the end of the day, he was the one to blame for the damage that was about to be caused. We went down into the basement again, this time following the underside of the vent shaft to its first cross section. My dad placed the handsaw on the corner of the vent and started cutting. As soon as he made the first cut, everything went wrong. My little brother started squealing in pain, his voice echoing throughout the entire house. Blood poured down the saw onto my dad's arm. He looked at me in horror and started shouting, Quick! Call an ambulance now! I rushed to the phone. But even as I was dialing, I couldn't believe that I had searched so long for my little brother in those air vents and came up empty while my dad was able to find him on his first try. The irony was too morbid to stomach. When I returned, I saw that my dad had tried making another cut in the vent to reach in and pull him out, only to be met with more blood and more screaming. The two cuts were far enough apart from each other that they couldn't possibly have both come from my little brother, unless he was moving. Stop it! That hurts! My dad's solution to this was to simply start at the vent's grate and keep cutting until he encountered more blood. But even by making a small cut at the entrance, he was met with blood and screams. It defied all common sense. His explanation was that the blood was coming from somewhere else in the grate and that cutting was causing the grate to rattle, which was agitating a wound my little brother had acquired at some point earlier. But I knew. And for a moment, I could have sworn the grate entrance looked like a face. Once the ambulances arrived, I was sent back up to my room. Not that it mattered. I could still hear everything from the vent in my room. No matter what room in the house I was in, I couldn't escape his cries. I'm so thirsty. That's when it dawned on me. There was one thing I still hadn't tried yet. I ran down into the kitchen and filled a big salad bowl with water and then carried it up to my room, being extra careful not to spill anything. I then poured the water down the vent shaft. Hey, Donnie, 
Which way is the water coming from? I listened closely for an answer, but received none. All I could hear was the sound of someone drinking. Later that night, my grandparents came to pick me up, and I started living at their house. After a couple of days, my dad started living there too. Our old house was quarantined off by the government for a long time, until it was eventually demolished and another house was built on top of it. Some old neighbors said that they took something away in a big semi-truck before demolishing the building, and there was a bunch of rumors at school about what had happened. As a teenager, I started having nightmares about my little brother being stuck in the air vents in my body, such as my respiratory system, digestive tract, or ear canals. It got to me so much that I started trying to destroy those air vents to make him go away. My dad and grandparents stopped me, and I told them about the nightmares. They sent me to counseling, which I kept up with until my late 30s, when I was finally able to recover. I tried so hard to forget about this past event, but there was one thing that still bothered me. I couldn't work up the courage to ask my dad until he was already on his last legs, but the answer was one I knew from the beginning. Dad, why didn't we ever have a funeral for Donnie? He looked at me and smiled weakly. Donnie never died. But again, I already knew that because I could still hear his cries. Who else is getting major SPC vibes? Sounds like Donnie is off to become the latest member in a growing number of mysterious threats. Or maybe he'll just enjoy the rest of his life as an air vent. Who knows? Our third and final story is a Nope Too Creepy original. This one does have a creepy kid, but this time, the kid in question has not been born yet. Written by yours truly, I proudly present, my boss is still pregnant, but I have already seen her baby. I recently got my first real job out of college, and it felt like I was on top of the world. Sadly, that feeling was short-lived. After what I've seen, the last thing I want to do is step foot back into that school. Hell, I don't even want to live in this state anymore. Not as long as that thing is here. For security purposes, I won't be using any real names. I got hired at a middle school in the Chicago public school system. I would be joining the staff as a teacher's assistant to an existing 7th grade teacher, Maria Tomas. Things started off pretty well. Maria was nice, the students seemed to like her, and the class structure was easy to learn. I began at the start of the school year in early September, 
It wasn't until mid-November that Maria announced to the staff and students that she was with child. Over time, as you'd expect, her stomach grew larger and larger, approaching her expected delivery date in early April. She never seemed to complain about her pregnancy. Every day at lunch, she would leave the campus and come back smelling weird, for lack of a better word. It was like she had been at a barbecue, with her clothes smelling smoky. I chalked it up to her ethnic family, who she said lived nearby. I assumed she was going there to eat lunch, and I didn't want to sound insensitive or ignorant by remarking on the odd smells that emanated from her clothes every afternoon. After months of this routine, she declared her last day before beginning her maternity leave would be Friday, March 23rd, roughly a week prior to her due date. Pushing it pretty close, I thought to myself. I was just hoping her water wouldn't prematurely break while I was standing anywhere near her. Luckily, that never happened. Eventually, Friday, March 23rd rolled around. By now, the students were giving off a weird energy. It was similar to the buzz you'd feel at the end of the school year, right before summer, but mixed with a bittersweet tinge since some of the students were clearly upset about their favorite teacher leaving them. That was the sentiment of the well-behaved kids. On the flip side, there were the more difficult students. Those who saw this as the authority of their classes stepping down only to have a weak-willed, apathetic substitute to fill her shoes for the rest of the school year. One kid in particular, Raymond, was having a field day. While he was usually a pain in the ass to some degree, he was taking his shit to new heights that day. I love kids, and I would never harm one, but Raymond was testing my code of ethics. He needed a nice, open palm smack to the head, real bad. The classes were structured in a way where the students would have the same teacher for several subjects throughout the day, depending on what team they were on. It was just a way to keep things organized for the administrative staff, but it also meant if you had a bad egg in the bunch, odds are you'd have to deal with that bad egg multiple times a day. Raymond was in three classes with Maria. English in the morning, and social studies and literature in the afternoon. Literature was the last class of the day, and seeing as it was just shy of the weekend, Raymond's disruptive behavior switched to overdrive. While other students read out loud, he was consistently speaking over them, tossing small pieces of crumpled up paper around the room and even going so far as to play music off of his phone. Sadly, due to the so-called progressive restrictions and rules instituted by the Chicago public school system, there was very little we could do to curb his rowdy conduct. I wanted to step in so bad, but I was hesitant to step on Maria's toes. 
so I grit my teeth and followed her lead. Finally, she spoke up. Raymond, can you keep it together for just 20 more minutes? Class is almost out. Raymond looked up with a sheepish grin before replying. Oh yeah, no problem, he remarked sarcastically. Miss Tubby, oh, I'm sorry, I meant Miss Tomas. He began to snicker to himself, clearly proud of the extremely lackluster insult. While I was angry on Maria's behalf, I was comforted by the obvious denouncing of his behavior by the other students. I assume he was expecting a reaction, but instead the class mostly just stayed silent, except for a few of the girls giving him looks of disgust. Whatever man, y'all are stupid, Raymond said, clearly embarrassed by his failure of a joke. Maria just smiled at this before clearing her throat and calmly stating, Let's continue. The class eventually wrapped up, and Maria said a brief and heartfelt goodbye to her students. Everyone gathered their stuff and began to head out, when Maria abruptly shouted, Raymond, you wait. I want to speak with you. Raymond rolled his eyes sighed and begrudgingly walked over to Maria's desk. I was still packing up my stuff in the corner of the room when this all began to unfold. I admittedly slowed down so I can eavesdrop on the conversation, secretly hoping Maria would go crazy on this shitty little kid, but knowing that probably wouldn't be the case. Maria began speaking to Raymond. All year... You've been a problem, Raymond. All year you've made your classes unnecessarily difficult. All year you've disrespected me, your other teachers, and bullied your classmates. All year, instead of disciplining you, I took pity on you. I've tried to level with you. I've gone out of my way to try and help you, hoping you'd come around. So tell me, Raymond, have you learned anything from this year? Do you feel bad about how you've behaved? Do you feel anything at all? Or are you just a waste of space like everybody in this school thinks you are? That last line caught both Raymond and myself by surprise. The harsh line seemed to come from nowhere. My eyes widened as I quickly began to pick up the pace. Suddenly I wasn't feeling so nosy, and instead just wanted to escape the awkward situation that was folding in front of me. I looked up and noticed Raymond's former look of pseudo-confidence had changed to one of objection and defensiveness. Screw you, you fat cow! He barked back, turning around to grab his backpack off the floor. Within the blink of an eye, Maria had her hand around Raymond's wrist. No one will ever miss you, you know. Maria said, her voice uncharacteristically monotone. What are you doing? You can't touch me. Let go of me right now. Raymond demanded, trying his hardest to break free of her grip. Raymond was bigger than average for his age 
and Maria was smaller than average for hers. So the fact that he couldn't get her to so much as budge as he pulled with all his might caused shivers to run down my spine. Maria simply stared at him with little to no emotion on her face. Naturally, I felt the need to try and de-escalate the situation. Not so much because I felt bad for Raymond, but more because I was worried about the legal ramifications that may affect Maria if she took this too far. Mrs. Tomas, take it easy. Let's just take a breath for a second. I pleaded. Maria snapped her head in my direction. That was the first time I got a good look at her eyes. It's hard to explain, but they looked wrong. Right off the bat, they looked darker, literally and figuratively. It was as if they were bloodshot, but with a very dark shade of red. Darker than I've ever seen someone's eyes get. In addition, they weren't looking directly at me. They were only looking in my direction. Before I could even respond, Maria began to speak. Thank you for your help this year, Mr. Choops. No need to stick around. We can take care of things from here. We? I asked, puzzled. With that, Maria's eyes rolled back into her head, with the entire white of them turning the same dark red color. At the sight of this, Raymond began to scream and tug even harder, still to no avail. In a panic for the safety of the student, I began to approach the two, hoping I could help Raymond break free from her grip. I took one step before Maria screamed at me. The voice was no longer her own, and it made my blood run cold. Keep your distance, Mr. Choops, she stated. I couldn't disobey even if I wanted to. I froze in place at the sound of her voice. Raymond continued to struggle. I just wanted it all to end. Before I can think of my next move, something else began to happen. With the nauseating sound of flesh being torn, I saw a small abrasion form under the middle of Maria's lip. It quickly began to spread down her chin through her neck and into her torso until it reached the bottom of her large pregnant stomach. Blood began to run down the large wound. I stared in awe and terror, hardly believing the grotesque scene in front of me. When I thought things couldn't get any worse, they did. I watched in horror as two tiny red hands began to ease their way through the gory fissure on Maria's stomach. Hands turned to arms, arms turned to a head, and a head turned into a face. The face of a fully developed baby. 
the baby slowly exited Maria's stomach, being raised up by unnatural limbs and organs that connected to it. Maria's body was now opened up like the mouth of a Venus flytrap. I began to shake uncontrollably, with all the feelings to my limbs leaving me. By now, Raymond was collapsed to the floor as if he had no bones, wetting himself with tears falling from his eyes and unintelligible mumbling falling from his lips. This baby, if you can even call it that, looked down at the panic-stricken preteen that laid before it. Not wasting any time, the baby made its way closer to the boy, pulling Maria's body along with it. In one smooth motion, the opening of Maria's exposed insides wrapped around Raymond, with the baby wrapping its tiny body around his face, stifling one last scream. I felt the bile rise in my stomach as I watched Maria's monstrous form slowly engulf her student. The sound of crunching and cracking filling the room. I was still able to hear his muffled scream for several seconds before a dreadful silence filled the space. After that, all I could hear was my heart pounding and my ears ringing. I sat there, too scared to move, watching Maria's now still body lay face down in the same spot Raymond laid moments prior. For a brief moment, I thought the mutilation of her body had killed her too. It only made sense after all. Who can survive being ripped open like that, regardless of how it happened? I was wrong. Maria's head once again snapped in my direction. Her eyes were still a deep red. With a twisted smile, she raised a finger to her lips. Shh! Our little secret, Mr. Choops, she said, her voice slowly returning to her. With that, I finally lost consciousness, passing out on the classroom floor. I was woken up a few hours later by a member of the janitorial staff. As soon as he spoke, I jolted up off the ground, looking around wildly. He begged me to calm down and take a seat so I can collect myself. When he had asked me what had happened, I told him I didn't know. I ended up blaming it on the flu, even though I felt fine, and he suggested I go to the hospital as soon as possible. I told him I'd go, just to get him off my back. I couldn't tell him what I had seen, not that he would even believe me. I got home and took a cold shower, trying to convince myself that what I had seen was not real. It couldn't be. It had to be a nightmare. I spent most of that weekend drunk, trying to forget what I had seen, or dreamed, that afternoon. 
by the time Monday rolled around, I could barely bring myself to get to school. I did, though. I had to. It was my job, after all. And I couldn't let what was most likely a nightmare ruin that for me. So I showered up, changed, chugged some coffee, and made my way to class. I met the substitute and sat down as she called attendance. When she got to Raymond, there was no one there to say here. He was absent. He was absent for two days before word got out that he had gone missing. The parents were questioned. We all were questioned. From what I heard, even Maria was questioned, since she was the last person many of the students saw Raymond with. I'm sure she had an alibi, and I'm sure they took her at her word. After all, what could an almost nine-month pregnant middle school teacher do? They still haven't found him, or recovered his body. I'm the only one in the school who knows why. There is no body to find. It was taken by that... That thing inside Maria. Her baby. Update. I haven't been sleeping lately. I abruptly quit my job a few days ago. My performance was noticeably worse, and I was risking getting fired anyway. I was going to wait until I was fired so I can collect unemployment, but that plan changed when I heard the news. Maria had delivered her baby. A healthy, beautiful baby girl. Everyone was ecstatic for her. Everyone but me. I've seen her already. I know what she is. And I was not going to stick around this city long enough for everyone else to figure it out. I'm heading south now. Not sure where exactly, and I don't care. I just want to put as much distance between me and that thing as possible. And if you live in the Chicago area, or even in Illinois, or even in the Midwest of America, I highly suggest you do the same. Thank you for joining me in this episode of the Nope Too Creepy Podcast. I want to say good luck to everyone who may be returning to school at this time, whether you're a student, teacher, custodian, whatever. Remember to never let your guard down. If you're interested in learning more about any of the authors, links to connect with them can be found in the show notes. Until next time, this is your host, Dan David, reminding you all to stay safe out there. I'll be seeing you in the next episode. Nope.